Welcome to Live at the Nut Bar. You're here with JB and David Cunningham. Another episode of Nut Bar. What I thought we could talk about today was a headline in interest.co.nz. This is what it said. Economists warn labour market data could prompt OCR hike. What's your reaction to that headline, JB? <laughs> it just proves to me how detached from reality bank economists are. Okay. I think they live in an ivory tower inside an echo chamber because that is completely different to what I'm seeing on the ground. Right. I mean, look, the reality is, you know, we've talked about this time and time again, Kiwis are facing into higher mortgage rates every day. Yeah, so monetary policy tightening is effectively continuing in terms of the transmission of the OCR, which was last moved, is it almost a year ago now? Mm. Over a year ago, was it? Mm. So, you know, as people roll off lower fixed rates, they're getting a, what, a 7% mortgage rate roughly today? Yeah, yeah, 7% is pretty much the going rate. Yeah, yeah, so if you're rolling off a 6-month, 12-month, 18-month, 2-year, 3-year, 4-year, 5-year mortgage, you are paying more today than you did yesterday if your loan rolls oh, over. Totally. So you've sort of got this transmission mechanism still playing out. Yeah, yeah. so most of uh, the guys that I'm dealing with right now that are coming off low rates are still coming off like rates of 499. Right. You know, yeah. so they're still getting a 2% tightening. Yeah, yeah. So in some ways, economists are sort of right in terms of hike, but it's not an OCR hike, it's just the transmission of previous OCR hikes. But to be calling it, I mean, the market's pricing a 20% chance of a hike in February of later this month. I mean, the, the chances of that are zero. I'd certainly say zero. Hey, happy to be proven wrong. <laughs> this country's kind of surprising, right? But I guess we just live and breathe this stuff so much. I mean, look at Australia. OCR of 4.35, mm-hmm. and, and they've peaked getting inflation gradually under control. Their reserve bank seems to be pretty well measured. I mean, I think the Aussie market has been sort of pricing in and easing quite aggressively. Obviously, the RBA came out and is trying to temper the enthusiasm. Yeah, that was just a couple of days ago, eh, when they had their latest, Mm. their equivalent of the OCR cash rate review. Yeah. So, you know, I guess their tone is still keep things tight. We're not easing anytime soon. And that's very much the tone globally from every central bank. I think yeah. in the last week we've had most central banks come out holding rates, mm. saying we're not low to them anytime soon. Data dependent. We've got to see inflation coming down, which it has been for well over a year now. Yeah. But the moment they say ease, the whole market will yeah. anticipate that. But, so, but, but well, here we are in New Zealand with, you know, arguably one of the highest OCRs in the world. We hiked way earlier than everyone else. Yeah. And we've got plenty of blood on the floor. We've still got the increasing rates coming through, as we talked about before, in terms mm. of people coming off fixed rates and stuff. And then bank economists kind of go, there's a, a chance that we could have another OCR yeah. increase. Mm. Well, back to the headline, labour market data. So what was the labour market data? It came out uh, this week. Well, you're the stat guy. I, I mean, obviously, unemployment was up less than expected. So up from 3.9 to 4, and the market expectation was for 4.3, roughly. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one though, like I'm more interested in underemployment, which um, I know increased a a bit more. Underemployment's more interesting because that's sort of showing you've got more capacity in the system, which kind of indicates that you'll get less sort of wage inflation pressure coming through. Mm. Um, A lot of Kiwis work overtime, and so when you sort of start to see that getting pulled back and you see people actually looking for more work hours, Mm. particularly in the areas like construction and stuff, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Unemployment rate here I think is really difficult because we've always seen this in New Zealand is you can't chop off arms and legs. We've, we're a country of small employers mm. and 
you know, if you have a thousand employees, shaving off 50 or 100 is relatively easy, right? But when you're a company of 10, 15, 20 employees, mm. you know, you can't shave off arms and legs. Mm. And if you could, that would come through mm. in, hey, I want more work hours kind of mm. thing, because the overtime's dropping back, which is what mm. we're seeing. Mm. But to actually take out a whole body mm. is actually quite difficult. Mm. What do you think it is that uh, businesses haven't reduced staff numbers you know, oh. And with the context of, I guess, the last three or four years with COVID in the middle. Because it's so hard to recruit, right? right. Um, and it's so hard to get good people. I, I mean, look, we so all... You, so you do everything you can to keep your existing stuff, <sighs> even if it means lower profits in the near term, because you know yep. when demand picks up, which obviously it eventually does, then uh, if you haven't gone under, then you're better off to sort of take the pain short term because there's more pain long term if you don't. Yeah, 100%. We saw that, um, it's actually really interesting, we saw that during the GFC. I mean, the unemployment rate during the GFC did spike up reasonably significantly. I think it got up roughly to about 7% from memory. Yeah. But um, we saw it a lot then. What we saw, and the GFC was seriously bad, right? What we saw there were companies, and we saw the same thing during COVID, rather than lay people off, companies negotiated people down to four day weeks. Mm. We did that uh, during COVID, we pulled all our staff back to four day weeks. Mm. Um, and then uh, obviously we didn't end up in hell. <laughs> it was the strongest um, period. It was, it was pretty <laughs> bloody scary. But you know, that's the way that employers respond because they, they just know how important it is to have people on the business when the market turns again. Mm. So here, here are the facts, you know, November year before last, the, the Reserve Bank governor explicitly said, I am going to put the country into recession, paraphrasing his words, I'm going to put the country into recession Tick. to drive out inflation. Tick. Part of that was a significant increase in unemployment cross because we've barely had any movement um, there. So I guess recession, tick, unemployment, no. Inflation, though, is clearly tracking down, you know, 7.2 down to 4.7 now. Now, this week I did an analysis of the sort of long-run inflation over you know, the last 23 years, and the interesting insight is every quarter over the 20 years from 2000 to 2020, on average, inflation average 0.5. 2% a year, yep. bang on the Reserve Bank, 1 to 3% target, the midpoint of that 2%. Yeah. From COVID hitting, soon after that, we had 10 quarters in a row of inflation well over 1%, yeah. as high as 1.8% in the September quarter last year. But that was when the fuel, fuel excise tax, excise, yeah, yeah. The, you know, fuel discounts that yeah, came, Got removed. came off. So 10 quarters of inflation at over 1%. Last quarter, December quarter, back to 0.5. Now the question is, it was that 0.5 an aberration? No. Or are we going to have a whole bunch of 0.5s like we've had for 80 quarters in the first 20 years of the century? Yeah. And if you sort of just stand back and apply some sort of logic type monetary conditions, you know, global inflation pressures have, have waned dramatically. You know, we've got deflation in, in a handful of countries actually, and inflation's yeah. clearly headed sort of back down. Yeah. Perhaps a bit sticky in some countries. And yet our economists are sort of going, well, you know, it's going to be ages before we get below 3% and the Reserve Bank's not going to start easing until they, they almost like see it. But that's not the job of the Reserve Bank, is it? To wait for inflation to hit, you know, 2%. They have to operate in advance of inflation, don't they? Well, I mean, look, this is arguably maybe where you know, our Reserve Bank gets it a bit wrong, right? And it's a function of not having great data um, because, you know, we, we, we almost need to kill the patient before we, you know, are brave enough to actually, it's quite, you know, like if you look at the Australian market, 
the Reserve Bank seems to be much more in the space of sort of trying to anticipate the future and where things are landing, mm. whereas ours tends to be looking in the rear vision mirror a bit too much. Yeah. And the problem with our data is it's it's so out of date. Yeah, everything comes out quarterly. So we had the September quarter GDP on the mid-December. Yeah. What was that? Two and a half months after the event, it was really weak, and suddenly the markets go, whoa, let's lower interest rates. Yeah. Now we have an unemployment number. Yes, that's a bit more timely, but... Uh, I can't wait to see the December quarter. GDP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My feeling is it's going to be weak. Yeah. And yeah. Um, well, I, I think like, there's universal agreement New Zealand was in recession through 2023. Yeah. And on a per capita basis, deeply in recession, considering the working age population increased 3% and yet GDP fell. So the per capita GDP was sort of down over 3%, obviously near a 4 The difference here is that if you take the RBA approach, right, the patient yeah. arrives in an intensive care mm-hmm. and they're pretty much diagnosing it on the spot and operating on it. In New Zealand, the patient arrives in an intensive care, the Reserve Bank goes and takes blood tests, sends them off to a lab, waits three months for it to come back. <laughs> in the meantime, the patient's died, right? It's, it's like... It's like you know, what the hell? We're just not responsive enough to what's going on. So is, is monthly CPI data, inflation data, important? Is that an important ingredient? Because I think a lot of countries, or in fact almost all countries in the world have monthly inflation data. We have quarterly, but we are moving towards some metrics coming out monthly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's sort of part of it. The blood test takes two weeks rather than two months. This <laughs> is the point. But I mean, look, that's, that's one part of it, right? But I mean, look, you know, like even the GDP data, you know, us not knowing we're in recession until mm. the back end of last year, mm. getting all your data revised to say, oh, we're in a recession. And mm. even the metric recession, you know, is in terms of GDP. I mean, what would be fascinating is GDP per capita. Because bumping up your population with a whole lot of nail technicians, Mm. which I've gone on about before, Mm. we're going backwards quite strongly. It just frustrates me that we seem to have this such big disconnect between the reality that people are living on the ground and the conversations that seem to occur mostly in our media Mm. um, about about our economy. Mm. I guess, JV, though, to be fair, you know, we're talking about the here and now and the headline today, you know, a month ago, six weeks ago, when we had the weak GDP number, a whole lot of revisions, that was the data that day and so on. But I guess you've got to look through that. And to be fair to the Reserve Bank, you know, 20 years of 0.5, you can't argue with per quarter, which is bang on. And so, you know, we're having an argument about this and bemoaning some of the statistics, but over the, you know, a six, 12 month time frame, it's of little consequence, isn't it? You know, we'll get there and uh, broadly monetary oh, policy will be right and economists will say one thing one day and one thing yeah, another day. And, oh, and, but, you know, cut through the rhetoric, you know, ultimately policy is pretty effective, isn't it? Yeah, no, 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 for sure. But I think at the end of the day, there are real people on the other side of this. You right. know, I mean, you can sort of sit there and you can argue economic policy and you can sort of talk about stuff. But I kind of feel that there are real people on the other end of this. You know, there are real people that are facing financial difficulty and hardship at these interest rates, right? That's a very real, tangible cost Mm. of what's going on. There are businesses that are, you know, closing, going into receivership, struggling at the moment because of how much we've tightened, right? Now, 
if we've tightened just enough and I've got it right, you know, I mean, business is always going to close, people are always going to have financial hardship. That's kind of cool. But I don't like the idea of let's be overly conservative or let's, let's keep stabbing the patient mm. until we know it's dead. I kind of don't like that approach when it's too conservative. Like, to me, the Australian approach, where they've just been a little bit more measured on this, feels a lot more appropriate. Mm. I suppose the insight about Australia is though most of their mortgages, you know, and, and therefore the lending and the financial system is floating rate, and so the impact is more immediate. In New Zealand, you know, you've got a year or two lag because most home loan rates average around two years fixed rates. Yeah, okay, so the OCR in Australia is 4.35. People over there are on rates of probably sub six, you mm. know, somewhere between five and a half and six at peak of cycle. Mm. We're talking about Kiwis now on average being at uh, probably in excess of 6%. Mm. So we're already higher than Australia, even though, you know, that transmission mechanism is still passing mm. through. Mm. So kind of agree. But. Yeah. Hey, so maybe let's turn to the retail home loan interest rates. You know, as we've said, mm. most New Zealanders are on fixed rates at the moment. What are you seeing customers take? What duration fixed rate? Short term. Mostly one year fixed rates. And I think that's right. Some some take six months. Um, mm. And I'm putting some into six months. It's sort of, you know, six, nine, nine. Mm. But I think for the most part, one year at sort of around 699 is where we're putting them. And the reason not any shorter than that is because of what we're seeing in the market. Just so much noise, mm. you know. Mm. No one has any certainty around when the Reserve Bank's going to lower rates. We talk mm. about the middle of the year, but there's plenty mm. of people out there that keep talking end of the year and the Reserve mm. Bank to date is still early next year. Mm. So with that in mind, it's sort of like, well, look, one year rate's going to get you through this. Mm. Yeah. Six month rate, we might be having the debate again in six months time. Mm. So mm. We're, we're largely fixing I, for a year. I mean, I guess the other observation is whatever the OCR fixed rates are, set with reference to a couple of key things. One is the wholesale swap rate, another yep. is the wholesale market rate for you know one, two, three, four, five year terms. Yep. And secondly, what banks are paying for their funding and TDs, term deposits are the major factor there. Now we're seeing banks paying about 6.1 for a one year or six month TD with wholesale, you know, with the OCR and wholesale rates at you know, below 5.5. Mm. Why are banks paying so much? Because that's one factor holding up home loan rates because we have seen wholesale market rates fall but we haven't seen retail market rates fall for deposits is that why home loan rates aren't falling in line with those wholesale fixed rate reductions what are there other sort of factors in there i just think at the moment banks aren't having to compete aggressively in the mortgage space they're quite happy with where things are at they're making good margin mm. in a way some of those td rates i you probably have a better view of it than I do. I mean, what's your perspective on that? It's sort of surprised me that those turn deposit rates haven't dropped. And, and ultimately, that's the key thing that will signal fixed rate or drives fixed rates down until those TD mm. rates move. I, I think sort of what's happening is partly it's easy for a bank, a banking industry to justify why fixed rates are high when those TD rates are high. But we've got to remember TDs are only part of their funding. They've got wholesale funding. Mm. They've got call accounts, which are averaging about 3% interest rate. They're charging seven on mortgages. Yeah. And then, of course, $40 billion in transaction accounts earning a big fat zero. And so, you know, I guess the headline is, you know, hot TD rates haven't dropped. And so why would we drop our fixed lending rates? But it doesn't sort of look at the whole equation. So in some ways, as you say, it's quite convenient for banks to, you know, have that headline TD rate high. So, as, you know, that can protect the overall margin in the bank and across the whole business. So sort of a clever game being played by banks. And, and, and you know, the outcome is 
the interest margin that banks were earning got down to about 2% and it's been trending down for you know 40 years, it hit 2%, it's now at 24 and it seems to be staying at that 2.4% level, at, so about 20% higher than it was. Yeah, at the moment, I do think that you're probably, you know, banks made a lot of money in the last few years off these non-interest bearing deposits mm. and off these low interest savings accounts with massive switching, right? Mm. Switching as much as just laziness. Why put my money in a yep. savings account earning 0.1 and I can just have it in my transaction account at zero? Why bother? Yep. The point is, you know, you can now win 6% on that money sitting in a transaction account, which incidentally averages about $10,000 per New Zealander. <laughs> yeah, so I think you will be getting, you know, I think banks will be getting a little bit of profit compression coming through on their deposits as it switches out. You know, like we saw something similar with the housing block. So typically at this part of the cycle where banks start to make additional money, Money is people coming off fixed rates and staying on floating. Right, where the margins are much higher. Where the margins are much higher, and the reason that they do that is in anticipation of rates falling, right? So what mm. we typically see in a falling rate environment is that bank floating rate mortgage books increase significantly. Mm. We saw it during the GFC, and mm. that's a money maker mm. for banks. I think it got up to over 40%, or yeah. approaching 50% of the book at, what, a 25 to 3% margin versus, what, 1% to 1.5% on fixed rates. And yeah. that, that number's about 15% now on floating. Yeah, so I think you're gonna sit, you'll gradually, not right now, but when it gets clearer that rates are coming down, yeah. um, you'll start to see quite a significant shift. So rather than fix rate. for six or 12 months, I'll just leave it on floating for a couple of months because yeah. I'm really confident that the interest rates will fall so I can log into a much lower fixed rate in three months. Yeah, yeah and, and people just become less urgent. You know, when rates are sort of going up or people are fearful of rates going up, yeah. you know, they're really conscious of my loans coming up fixed rate maturity, can I lock it in early? If I don't do it today, I'll miss out yeah. and pay a higher rate. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas in some ways, moving to floating is, you know, if I lock it into fixed, I'll miss out on the subsequent rate reduction. Yeah. Yeah. And so they just tend to drift much more into a floating rate. So I think you're going to get some margin expansion there for the banks, which is always good. Because this is a thing, like they're playing, there's different things going in different parts of the book. They'll get margin expansion on that floating rate mortgage book as things go down. They're getting margin contraction, I think, coming through on those um, savings and deposits as people have actually started to move money away from non-interest bearing, chasing some of these higher rates. We've, we've seen that playing out. So you kind of look at the full picture. I think the thing for the banks, though, is that you know they're used to this higher net interest margin that they're getting. And, mm. and once they're used to it, it's very hard for them to give it up again. Yeah. What's the role then of balance sheet growth in all this? Because bank balance sheet, in fact, the housing market debt growth has been 2 or 3% in the last year. Which is low. Which is very low historically, isn't it? You know, it's probably averaged well over 10. So when your balance sheet's growing, you're, you're probably less worried about your interest yeah. margin. You're okay with it drifting down because you're getting your profitability growth, which is what yeah. the, the share markets expect from banks that uh, people invest in. So, you know, low balance sheet growth means hold interest margin up. So I guess as the economy perhaps starts to recover next year and housing turnover lifts from, you know, it's at housing market activity is at, what, 30-year lows or something at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. So there's another factor there. So I suppose if we look forward a year, lower interest rates, higher balance sheet growth for banks, more pressure on margins. So we could, you know, there'll be a double kick, I suppose, in terms well, of Well, that's, that's when they'll start chasing growth and mm. you'll get more sort of price-based competition yeah. is when the balance sheet growth comes back. And you're right, what they'll do is they'll take balance sheet growth and making sure they get their share of it yeah. over margin. And yeah. so you'll just get a bit of margin contraction coming through at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What are you seeing in terms of competition from banks in the market? Is it aggressive or is it pretty, you know, what are the deals going and is anyone standing out as being particularly aggressive? No, not really. You're getting cashbacks there. Cashbacks is an interesting thing, right? So I thought cashbacks would disappear by now because it's quite expensive Mm. for the banks. So if you refinance or you've got, you know, you're buying a new property, obviously the rate's a consideration. The other thing that you get is a cashback, which is literally a lump of cash. Uh, that gets deposited in your bank account. And as long as you don't refinance or sell the property within generally three to four years, you get to keep it. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like a golden handcuff and a quite significant amount. So 0.8, 0.9% of the loan amount. So, you know, on a million dollar mortgage, it could be, you know, sort of eight or $9,000. So mm-hmm. it's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. The reason I thought they would disappear is just I thought banks would struggle with profitability, look to cost cut, and that would be one of the areas that they would do. What they love about cashbacks is that they don't have to compete on rate mm-hmm. as aggressively when they're using cashbacks. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it, cashbacks is a great mechanism for only dealing with the price sensitive new business in the so, market. So your existing customers with their fixed rate rolling over don't get the cash back unless they switch. And so, you know, banks just charge the going rate. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Yeah, so 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 it's sort of a marketing sort of I suppose you'd almost say that it's useful in protecting margin. I mean, there's no real logic in terms of why you take a mortgage and I suddenly give you $10,000 for the privilege of giving you that mortgage, is there? Well, well, well no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's a rate discount, but it's just paid up front yeah. as a lump sum of cash, right? But I think what it does do is it, it means that they can get a higher margin on their existing mortgage book. Right, so your back book delivers the profit, the front book delivers the future profit without cannibalizing the existing profit if anyone followed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, it's a bit of a deep argument, but I think cashbacks have been actually serving the banks here quite well in terms of their ability to keep their margins up. But what, you know, what it means for homeowners is that you, know, you do need to be thinking about refinancing, you've, you've got to play the game. Mm. The reality is there are some big discounts mm. on offer mm. and you're crazy not to take it. Yeah. Now the banks are, are playing this game on the basis that they think the vast majority won't take it, yeah. right? Yeah. I guess we're out there encouraging people to take it. <laughs> yeah. well, that's for the benefit of the customer, right? Yeah, hey, yeah, in, no, in totally. Australia, cashbacks have wound back massively and in fact we have yeah. the bank CEOs in Australia, yeah, the big they bank hate them CEOs. Over there all talking about it and almost telling each other, well, we're going to reduce cashbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next CEO goes, it's overly competitive in the home loan market. We're not making any money. We're, we're going to reduce cashbacks. And that, you know, it's perfectly legal. It's called signaling. Yeah, perfectly yeah, yeah. legal. But, yeah. you know, it's oligopoly behavior and action, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I, look, I think Aussie and New Zealand are quite different markets. We know that mm. the vast majority of home loans over there are, are floating rates. Mm. And the way that the banks do it over there is that they discount their floating rates quite heavily. So although they'll have an advertised floating rate, you can get all sorts of discounts. And those discounts are multi-year discounts Mm. because it's floating, right? You're not having to negotiate rates every six months, 12 months. Mm. So these these big mortgage books have got embedded in them. They've got quite high levels of discounting, particularly with the big banks. Mm. If you look at their rates over there, the advertised rates of the big banks typically won't be very good. 
because there's so much discounting going on and then that discounting is heavily embedded in the book. Mm. What's good for them is that that discounting is not visible, so mm. it's something that they can manage below the counter. Mm. Mm. Whereas in New Zealand, if you think about fixed rate mortgages, and you can get below the counter discounts and stuff, largely what's playing out are the advertised rates. Mm. Okay, hey, well, look, to wrap it up, without getting into personalised advice, you know, what's the strategy home loan borrowers should be thinking about at the moment or the things to, con- to consider? Well, I guess with, with that context that you know the Reserve Bank rhetoric and is still you know we're not easing anytime soon, but wholesale markets are pricing them to ease you know in around six months, possibly sooner. Yeah. So I, like, the first thing I would sort of say is just be conscious of the fact that when rates fall, if you're fixed longer term, you've got the potential for break fees. Mm-hmm. And, and those those costs of exiting your mortgage could be quite high. And the longer the duration, like five year, the break fee can be multiples of what it would be if you're in a one year loan that you're breaking, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and that can be quite significant. We talk about that a lot on the website. So just, just go to the website if that's something you want to explore in a bit more detail. But just be very conscious of fixing long term at the top of an interest rate cycle. Uh, it could be a very expensive exercise. So we are fixing shorter. If you've got an existing loan, and it's split, so you've got different fixed rate terms, Mm -hmm. and you want to think about refinancing because maybe you've been with your existing lender for three or four years or maybe longer, you know, it's a good opportunity to sort of start to line those dates up. Okay, so if you've sort of got a previously one year maturing next week or something, and you've got a two year maturing in a year, then Mm. maybe take a one year so you have it all lining up for a year, and that means you can go and shop around and get a Cashback, is that the sort Yeah, of yeah, yeah, exactly. The problem for clients that have split their loans is that, you know, they might have a loan that's coming off at the moment, say 499, and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to 7%. What refinance options have I got? And we're like, ah, oh, yeah, nah, you've still got another loan that's at 499 that doesn't roll until next year. Mm. So refinancing is not really an option for yeah. you at the moment because you don't want to give up that great rate that you've got. Right, the, the bank doesn't pay you no. the opposite of a fixed rate break cost. They don't no. pay you a fixed rate break benefit. <laughs> no, so so what you better that, eh? <laughs> yeah. So what you're better to do there is go. Okay, well let's fix for a year so that when that good rate comes off, my whole loan mm. is ready to go, and that would be a good strategy, right? So I think in a falling rate environment, when rates are about to fall, don't fix longer term. Generally, fix shorter terms. If your loans split, start to think about lining them up so that you can basically refinance at no cost. Would an option be to take a floating rate? Like, you know, I know the rate is much higher, but are there big discounts in New Zealand on floating not rates? Not really. No. Um, I tend to not float. Look, with shorter term fixed rates, you don't have to worry about break fees, mm. particularly like a six month. Mm. You might end up with some small break fees for a year. Mm. I tend to fix short, then yeah. go floating. Floating, you're paying too much of a premium to sit there. Yeah, yeah. there's uh, some articles, if you look on our, our website, some blogs on why floating rate margins are so much higher. So take yeah. a bit of that if you want to understand why that is. It goes back to, I think, decisions you and I were probably making 20 or 30 years ago when we worked on the banking side trying to maximise profit at customers' <laughs> expense. Yeah. So, mea culpa. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, other strategies? So That's the main one. If someone's buying at the moment, we're tending to keep them on short-term fixed rates. And um, we still like splitting loans. It, it seems a bit weird. You know, you might split a loan into two and, and fix both of them for six months or a year. The reason for that is not for right now, but at some point you may want to fix part of your loans for different terms. So it makes it easier. I just fix 
you know, the, in six months, fix one loan for two yeah. years, one loan for three yeah, years. So yeah. it's actually getting the structure right to make it easier in the future, not because you're picking, picking a different rate today, but because you might want to pick a different rate tomorrow. Yeah, okay. and you don't want to have to re-document the yeah. loan at okay. the time. Well, that's, that's a good thought. I hadn't, hadn't thought of that one in terms of a personal loan, so that's useful to Yeah, know. no, so I mean, I, I always split the loans up because I think, look, there are parts of the cycle where you might want to fix them for different terms. I think for now, though, with an expectation that rates will be falling, you know, I think generally people want shorter term fixed mm. rates. Mm. Okay, so if we sort of stand back, you know, lots of rhetoric about interest rates not falling anytime soon, but the world over, the market is pricing interest rate cuts to the official cash rates or whatever they're called in each country between May the 1st in the lights of the US and the Eurozone and September is sort of the latest market priced cut. And also literally, you know, four to sort of six months and we're firmly in the interest rate cut cycle despite the headline that economists warned labour market could prompt OCR like in New Zealand. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's us for another week. Uh, we'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.